Welcome to a new season of Downton Gabby. We will be discussing the U.S. premiere of season four of Downton Abbey. I am Brandi Sperry in Los Angeles. I am Shannon Bowen in Oakland. And I am Teresa Schechter in Brooklyn. And I am so excited. <laughs> woo, 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 woo. Woo, Matthew's dead. No. <laughs> no, that is tragic. It is tragic. I'm just going to say it's not that tragic that Matthew died. <laughs> I'm like really excited about Mary dating. Yeah, in retrospect, I think it actually makes things more interesting on the show. Does anybody know what Dan Stevens is doing right now? Oh, he's uh, going to be at Night at the Museum 3, so his career's really <gasps> taken off. He really? is. He's playing like Lancelot or something? Like yeah, not even yeah, like, yeah. like a knight? or I don't even know. It's just kind of sad. Um, I don't think it was a good move for him to do, but you know what? Good riddance. He was getting pretty annoying and bring on the hunks. Hopefully they won't die in Lady Mary's bed, but if they do, that's okay too. Well, Cause then they'll show up in the, in a new YA, you know, series like Divergent. I just want to point out that Matthew continues to be annoying beyond the grave. The letter, the letter, which he put in a book for no apparent reason. The letter is so important that he had to write it before they went to Scotland and he had to get two of his clients to witness it. And then he puts it in some random book in his office. And the worst part is, we don't know what the book was. <laughs> you know, that could have told us a lot. Maybe he was looking at like some type of, you know, Victorian porn or something. And so that's why no one found it. And then that's where the will was. No, yeah. if it was in the porn, then his assistant would have found it immediately. It was probably right. okay. some like outdated... <laughs> Like land use book, like that That's no one. Right. Land use in Sussex, <laughs> yeah, 1732 yeah. to 1756. And of course, it's only Lord Grantham that would pick it up and be like, this is probably a good read. So, I mean, despite the very, very annoying mechanics of how this played out, I really enjoyed this part of the premiere, the way that it got back to sort of the roots from the very first season, where the question mm -hmm. was, like, all these problems arise at Downton just because Mary can't inherit things the way she would if she was a man. Like, that has always been a very interesting core of the show to me. And it's interesting the way, in the first season, the set of reactions to this, which was sort of like the old, well, there's nothing to be done about it. And then we're in season four now where every single person that talks to Robert about it is like, oh, come on, this is ridiculous. Because the, the reason they were upset in the first season wasn't so much because of Mary, but because they were worried about this stranger coming in. They were fine with it when it was going to be the cousin that they knew that they were hoping to marry off to Mary, who was going to inherit. But once the Titanic sank, then they were like, wait, who's this lawyer? Who's this middle management guy who's coming in no now that it's it's about mary and it's about mary as this autonomous person who should have a say in the running of downton there is a very interesting paradox here that you know mary wants to be daddy's favorite and believe in his every word but she also knows that he's he's wrong and that she wants the power of being in control which she's always wanted since season one she never just wanted to be a wife she wanted to be head of the estate and I felt like so much of this episode wasn't like, is she going to choose life? Is she going to come back to life? It was like, is she going to really grab the power that's waiting for her right there? Yeah, I mean, I think Mary, you know, people give this character kind of a hard time because she is so hard and cold, but she is complex and fascinating to me. And part of it is because 
she contradicts herself in this very ironic way where she wants to preserve the old ways and preserve Downton and but all of those things have been the things that have screwed her over. You know, she wants to support Lord Grantham's opinions even when they are against her. And right. you can sort of see in the way that she conducts herself and and this is especially um you know, kudos to Michelle Dockery for her uh, performance, you can see the sort of tension in that and how she resigns herself to being the one who defends the old ways. Because it's not, you know, it's not going to be anyone else besides her and Lord Grantham. So especially the little arc where she started coming around to sort of listening to Tom's way of things and hearing him out and sort of coming into her own, being able to tell Lord Grantham at the end, we'll talk later about some ideas we have. That was very satisfying to me. And we saw her power color, (laughs) that lovely shade of purple that she wore in her board meeting. And then when she was out touring the fields with Branson. So we're going to see a bit more Peggy Olsen coming out of Lady Mary and I (laughs) into it. That is basically her pantsuit. Like that Peggy Olsen is wearing at the end of last season. That fucking purple is her pantsuit, and she's going to rock it and tell those men what to do with their sheep. And I can't wait. (laughs) I got to say, I didn't even notice that Mary was in a mourning color because she just looks so fabulous in those black gowns and the black gloves. (laughs) I just thought, oh, Mary's looking fabulous as always. And then it was pointed out to me that she's in mourning, and that's why she's wearing black all the time. (laughs) I know, but against the pale skin, it's very dramatic and... Yeah. I mean, she has a brilliant selection of different, beautiful morning gowns. Although, guys, where were the sparkly headbands? I mean, I could barely give this episode a one on the sparkly headband scale because they seem to be gone. And I, I, I'm wearing black today to mourn the loss of the sparkly headbands that seem to be gone. Shannon, you're so shallow. Matthew died, okay? It's only been six months. Hair matters. It always does. All right. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Can we talk about Mary being allegedly a really bad mother? Because that came up several times. And I, my understanding is that in her class, uh, people weren't that interested in their kids. Like the kids would be all cleaned up and brought in after tea time and mm-hmm. then away. And kids were raised by nannies. And you didn't have to be a particularly good mother in the way that we may think a good mother acts. Definitely. I mean, I feel like the Dowager's talk with Lord Grantham was the most motherly I've seen her in these four seasons. So I can't imagine when he was a child that she was cooing over him and, you know, spending so much time with him. She seems like she probably was a cold mother as well, because I think you're right that that was part of the culture of that class. Well, she even says when she's uh, when he's sort of throwing a fit about all the legal stuff, I'm it reminds me of when I should, we used to ring for nanny when you were being bad. <laughs> right. you know? yeah. Not that I would punish you, but that I would be sick of you <laughs> and call nanny in. So. But, but then she goes into Mary's room and tell, she says, I love you. I almost passed out. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. What's up with I that? Know, but there was like this very, Maggie Smith is just so genius with selling all these lines. You know, there was this pause right before she said that. You know, she's like, well, it's different from a governess because I love you. Like, that was actually kind of a hard thing for her to say out loud and be that sentimental. But she knew that it was 
needed to snap Mary out of it a little bit. I think it, the feeling I got was that she's probably said it under five times in her whole life. And there was nothing more powerful she could say to Mary to snap her out of it. Cause I think she was really worried that, you know, Mary's going to be lost. You know, Lord Grantham doesn't mind just letting her sit up in her room, but she's just going to become, you know, Mrs. Rochester and Jane Eyre. I mean, she wasn't too far. No, no, that's Edith. Edith is Mrs. Rochester. Oh, oh no. Well, second Mrs. Got all these Jane Eyre parallels. Anybody, anybody can be Mrs. Rochester, in my opinion. Uh, we are all Mrs. Rochester. We are all Mrs. Rochester. But, you know, I mean, the way that Lord Grantham was like, she can just sit in her room and cry. You know, that was not healthy, and I think that that was the dowager's way of, you know, slapping her, some sense into her. It's like, well, I love you and I don't really love anybody. So get it together. <laughs> what about Carson trying to smack some sense into her? That was kind of a harsh scene at first. It was harsh. And I was, I mean, I know that butlers would never in a million years do what Carson did. So I yeah, guess that's Mary's... the fantasy element of this show for sure. Yeah. Mary's response was pretty harsh, but on the other hand, it was probably a lot more realistic than what Carson did. Yeah. Right. I feel like he is more of the father figure to her than Lord Grantham. Yeah. I mean, Lord Grantham sits on this pedestal, but it's, you know, who's fretting when she's giving birth? Carson. Who's coming to seek her out and, you know, bring her back to life? Carson. You know. Well, isn't there something also about the lower classes are allowed to show emotion? Yeah, I mean, certainly Mary uh, ascribes to that, and so that's what makes it extra powerful later when she breaks down when she apologizes to him. I mean, I was sitting there thinking, this seems like it could be the first time she's really cried like this in the six months, you know? Right. Like, she's just been dead, you know, like yeah. emotionally dead, and then yeah. this is her first breakdown. Yeah. And who does she choose to have that with? You know, Edith is her rival, her mom, I don't know. I think her mom's just hyped up on Valium, whatever. Oh, what was it back then? Laudanum or whatever all the time since she can't <laughs> seem to really pay attention to anything that's happening in the house. And, you know, and her dad is telling her to just sit and cry in her room. So who's who's left? Yeah. What, so should we talk about Cora, the never-endingly dense Cora? Oh, God. Of all the maids to bring back, this one, I mean, <laughs> I would take about the stupid oh, one that had the baby over, like, Ethel, was that her name? Ethel, yeah, then we, what about oh. Jane, who had her dalliance with Lord Grantham? I mean, we could bring them all back and just have a reality show at this point. Yeah, that was just ridiculous, like, the whole thing... Edna was so transparent during that interview, and yet Cora and Rose are both sitting there all prim with their tea, just being like, isn't she lovely? That's right. <laughs> but every inconsistency in her story, every, I mean, I'm just, I was just at that point screaming at the television because. <laughs> and that's why we love this show. Let's get serious. I mean, part of the reason we love this show God knows why it gets Emmy nominations. I'm not sure, but God, it's fun to make fun of and yell at. And this was well, a great scene to be like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, Cora also had a rare moment where her denseness worked out because Thomas turned out to be correct that Nanny West was crazy, even though he only made that up because he was pissed. It was a little over the top for me. And I was just upset because it made Mrs. Hughes look bad. And 
Mrs. Hughes has become one of my most beloved characters, so I will defend her to the death. And I did not like that that whole situation made her look bad, that she you hired different... Oh, well, Owen, oh, that she also wrote Edna the recommendation or whatever, right? So it was all right. kind of like all of Mrs. Hughes's machinations to try to have a good staff or backfiring her on her. So can we just can we just enumerate all the idiot manipulations by the staff? I mean, <laughs> first Edna weasels her way back in. Then Thomas is doing his number on Nanny West. And just because she did it turn out to be evil, that's that stopped clock is right twice a day thing. Then we've got um, Thomas uh, talking about Anna probably burning something. I don't know what, what even happened. It was there? like a scarf or something. I don't even know. But Cora was very uh, guys, vexed about it. Was it. Pretty, it was pretty important. Okay. Someone <laughs> burnt a scarf. And I can't even believe you didn't pay attention because it was a really big deal. Okay, so that happened. And then on top of it, Lord Grantham is like still on the case with Bates. Like you keep your little wife in line, okay? You know, this is, this is. (laughs) Wait, you haven't even talked about Mosley's grudge match over at the Dowager's house, which I could not understand this guy's motive at all. Sprat or Mosley. He just decided that Mosley must be after his job instead of the job with Lady Shackleton, who might have my favorite name on the whole show. I'm just going to say. Right. She right. has a great accent, too. But he I swear he didn't blink during that whole scene. Like his jaw didn't move, even though sound was coming out of his <laughs> mouth and he was just staring. It was so creepy. Did you recognize no, Lady Shackleton from which Jane Austen film she's from? What? What? From Sense and Sensibility. Oh. The brother's horrible wife. You're right. Oh, wow. I'll always win that one, guys. Well, they're all from somewhere. But <laughs> they're all Name like... that Jane Austen movie actress, done. Exactly. Um, um, but yeah, Spratt, but I... his name is Spratt, the butler. And he talks without moving his mouth. Yes. It's creepy. It was creepy. And just stupid, A, we don't really care about Mosley unless he's talking about cricket um, or drunken dancing. Neither of those happen. So I don't know. Just... I kind of like Mosley sometimes. I mean, I felt very bad for him when Anna, of all people, was the one who came across while he's digging a ditch. You know, he always loved her, kind of. Oh, yeah, he's oh, on the yeah. chain gang now. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> Remember when he tried to start that book club with her? Oh, good I don't know, like... Just as a general dating tip, trying to start a book club is like, the girl doesn't want to do a bunch of work reading a book before she can hang out with you. Well, but we learned Bates is good at forging. Bates? I wonder what other great skills he picked up in prison. That sounded so dirty. (laughs) I did not mean it to be dirty at all. No, I don't think of Bates that way at all. She's thinking of his book club skills. God, Brandy, get your head out of the gutter. Everybody knows Anna loves a book club. You know, Anna and Bates have been, like, crazy flirtatious. They were cute. I I mean, I would rather watch them be cute than watch her crying about him in prison, that's for sure. Right. But they're definitely boning down in that cottage. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's. I assume she's going to be pregnant this season. Yeah, I was going to say, like, an Anna baby can't be too far off. What happens when Anna has the baby? Does she have to stop being a lady's maid? I don't know. I don't know. 
I, you know, does that mean Ivy gets promoted to a ladies' maid? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Barely uh. anybody can be a ladies' maid. And by the way, like, I know that Lady Mary is very attached to Anna. I don't know who the fuck is Edith's ladies' maid these days. I think no one. No one. Um, but how on earth was it never, the idea never floated that maybe Anna would want a promotion to be the actual countess's ladies' maid? I don't know. Maid? It's just like... Seriously? Of course everyone's going to be pissed if you bring in some rando to be promoted over everyone else. So, other things that happen downstairs. Of course, the whole reason for Edna is O'Brien's departure. And as much as uh, I'll miss the actress, who I think did a great job, Siobhan Finneran, uh, didn't really feel the loss of that character as much as I might have thought. I think because they didn't have as much to do with her last season. I didn't miss her at all, but I just want to always remember the soap. <laughs> yeah, she's she's not really. What is she doing? So maybe I need to get on the internet. Uh, she's in sure. India. Oh, right, she's in India. She's in <laughs> India starting hair trends. Um, guys, I just can't believe that we've talked this long. And we haven't talked about the biggest development of the entire season probably which yep. is the introduction of the electric mixer right <laughs> that's right nothing has rocked that kitchen more since sybil came down there and baked that cake you know <laughs> this has been huge up is down do left love... is right I, I can just picture like julian fellows getting a card from someone that was like and i just love that scene with mrs hughes and her toaster <laughs> and then him being like what else can we do We'll get Mrs. Patmore an electric mixer. <laughs> Although, like, of course, like, Leslie Nichols sells every Mrs. Patmore moment so much. And um, the interactions with Daisy were actually hilarious, where, you know, Mrs. Patmore's being all like, get that contraption out of here. And Daisy just blankly stares at her and he's like, I'm going to try it. <laughs> I laughed. I love Mrs. Patmore. If you watch carefully, Mrs. Patmore sees every single fucking thing going on in that kitchen. Anything that's happening in the foreground, Mrs. Patmore is in the background listening and watching. You see her head tilt to the side. Her giving Daisy that Valentine was so sweet. And I just wish Mrs. Patmore was my aunt or my friend. I just love her. She's so sweet. And... I love that she really cares about Daisy because I think a lot of people don't care about Daisy. So I think it's very sweet too, but I think that that whole storyline really was played out last year. Oh yeah. I was like this again, Ivy and Jimmy were what, like anything else. Ivy and Jimmy and Daisy and that tall guy. What's his name? Alfred. Alfred. Thank you. That was like one of my bathroom break cues. Every time we're back in the kitchen with Ivy, I was like, oh, time to go to the bathroom. Yeah, she's the worst. She did get drunk up those wine coolers, so that was at least interesting. But mm-mm. Maid's gone wild. <laughs> yeah, Maid's gone wild. What is the like 1921 or wherever we are equivalent of wine coolers? <laughs> <laughs> she was down in the pub flashing she had her, her knees. Raspberry mold wine. <laughs> Well, right. These younger ladies are out of control. I mean, Rose asking something to be slipped into her tea. I mean, salacious. I actually, uh, I know Rose's storyline was very minor on here and obviously not going anywhere, but that whole thing was sort of fun to me. Like, I really have grown to like her a lot. 
and the actress especially was so cute when Anna comes in and is like, there's a young man outside, and she's like, really? Oh my god, like, covering her mouth with her hands and stuff, it was just, I don't know, it was like this fun little teenager light moment in an, in a, an episode that had a lot of stuff about, like, lost love, it was nice right. to see, like, the potential of love, or even just, like, the joy of flirtation in there. I love Rose. I think she's wonderful. And I love her room. You know, when Anna goes into her room, it looks like a real person lives there, you know? Right. Uh, like, it's a real, like, teenager's room, and she's so much fun. And um, she's just, you know, I, I'm sure she's, she's already causing trouble, obviously. People were referring to her on Twitter as Cousin Oliver, which no, I don't think is fair. Cousin Oliver. She's not a no. cousin. She's Lydia Bennett, guys. She's Lydia Bennett. Start, finish. That's what she is. And I fucking love Lydia Bennett. So let's get some illicit affairs going. Secret marriages. Let's do it. I'm Jazz on board. age. Yeah. Hey. I mean, yeah, she's got her records, which are what I don't know, the equivalent of her Justin Bieber posters or something. It's just <laughs> hilarious to me. She's so doing the one step. She's effervescent. She's effervescent, but you guys, illicit romances, I'm sorry, but Lady Edith. I was going to say she was late for dinner, and that probably points to more scandal. And she kissed him in the hotel, a married man, in front of how many people? Oh, she wants to give her V-card up like, oh, man, she wants to give it up. She is not going to wait until marriage. Oh, no. Oh no, she's she's completely uh, descending into her life of sin. But it's so awesome. Like, look, she's part of the London literary scene now. Like, I was looking for like the Bloomsbury group at Michael's party because don't you think they would be there? That would be cool. Look, we actually got to meet some historical characters. That would be very very fun because they really haven't shown us the details of Edith's London life. Like we see her more at breakfast saying she's going to London than we actually do see what happens when she's there. I, I know, don't know if that's I... like a budget issue or what. <laughs> I would think at this point Downton Abbey could have as much money as they want. So like, for God's sake, let's have some more parties. Let's see some more fun. I love her clothes, and I want her to like have brunch with Virginia Woolf or something. Wait, make that happen, guys. We saw her whole leg. What? <laughs> With that slit in her skirt, it was like as shocking as Angelina Jolie's leg or whatever at the Oscars a couple years ago. I mean, it was like scandalous, and he loved it. He loved that knee and shin. He loved it. Her clothes are beautiful. Like, clearly she's got, like, a London style because she is not dressing like Mary. Mary's still in these really conservative shapes and and mm-hmm. even, even, like, she's in mourning, but still her stuff's super conservative. And yeah. Edith is, like, all these crazy colors and embroidery and patterns. and The green dress that she wore into the Criterion that had the sort of almost like a peacock effect with the jewels on the top, I was just like, I love it. I love everything about it. I can't get enough of this dress. Like, and I feel like last season we were often kind of disappointed by the fashion. And it's back up again this season. Yeah, Edith looks beautiful. Right. I can't wait to see what else she wears. I don't want her to move to Germany, though, because we know World War II is coming. And I love Edith. And I just can't. She needs to be wearing pretty dresses in London forever, in my opinion. So... Just for the record, you all recall how for the last three seasons, I have been predicting that Edith was going to become a fascist and follow yeah. Oswald Mosley. And yeah. 
when um, Michael said that he was going to go get German citizenship. I screamed at the TV. I was like, Teresa's right. Her theory's coming true. I totally did. Because I was like, no, I was always like, that's kind of a weird theory, Therese. But now it's kind of really true. Yeah, well, we'll see. But I don't I mean, know. I, I'm worried about this cockamamie plan. I am. Like, I feel like somebody's going to find out and there's going to be scandal. I don't know. And I would, A secret illegitimate baby? I mean, how, <laughs> let, like, let, do it. that does not seem... Uh, far-fetched at all at this point does it i mean she finds it so hard to leave i mean yes it's really hard to leave i mean there's gonna be some p up in some v very quickly i just have to say there are many things that they can do that would not cause a pregnancy oh but she doesn't have the good sex education that you would give her Teresa. come on she wants some old-fashioned fucking, and you know it when she Look kissed that him guy. in the restaurant. Yeah. When he looks at her, all he's thinking about is pumping. I mean, <laughs> right. You can't get around it. <clears throat> but, yeah, I think either her or Rose, illegitimate baby, by season's end. Well, let's just talk about Rose for a moment. I don't think that Rose is uh, <laughs> untouched, let's say. Ooh. I, oh, she wasn't because she had that affair with that married man. Yeah. She's been yeah. having affairs she's, since she was 14. Yeah. And she's been like smoking behind the bleachers since she was like eight. So, you know. Yeah, I think I think Rose has done a few things and clearly knows how to take care of herself, if you know what I mean. Yes. Well, maybe Edith needs to come to her for some advice. Oh, my God. I would love to see that scene. <laughs> Just being like, so what do you do, you know, if the thing happens? (laughs) I feel like we really need to research what birth control was available then, because even though Edith is a lady of means, I don't even know if she could access birth control. Well, you know, this is like the time when people like Marie Stopes are writing marriage manuals and they're explaining birth control. And, and here in the U.S., you have people like Margaret Sanger, who's already been spending at least a decade getting contraceptive information. So this, there's like this real sort of boom in this kind of information, although it's still like sponges and I think diaphragms. I think you could get diaphragms already. And of course, condoms, which have been around for a long time. I would love it if some period show doesn't even have to be down Abbey, like anything, actually talked about this sort of thing. It is crazy to me that that is like never, ever mentioned ever. Right. <laughs> any sort of story. Because it's interesting. It's not like it would be a burden to the story. I think it's fascinating. And I think a lot of people would feel the same way. Call the Midwife does touch on some of it. Um... No, you're right. And that might be why I love that show so much. Yeah, and what we were talking about Rose's bedroom, I mean, that room just totally reminded me of Call the Midwife. I just imagine all the girls in there drinking <laughs> gin, listening to jazz, and it was always like, I want to go hang out with the midwives. That sounds so fun. Oh, you know, <laughs> speaking of Rose, I have to share um, one of the tweets last night. Somebody was saying that Rose inaugurates the sexy maid Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So I thought was like totally great. Um, and somebody else said the road to a tarts boudoir is paved with jazz music and dancing. 
That's how you know Mary is starting to come back a little bit as she has these little quips. She had a couple little quips throughout where you're just like, oh, there you are. You're still in there. I think Tarts Boudoir is the phrase of the show. Really, I do. Yeah, yeah. It's the only place I want to be. I don't give a shit about upstairs, downstairs. I'll just take the Tarts Boudoir because you know what? There's going to be booze and jazz and a lot of fun. The only thing we haven't really talked about is uh, back to the sadness. Poor Isabel. Oh, poor Isabel. I do have high hopes for her having a better storyline going forward. You know, this was like she was almost more sad to me than Mary because she's more, more aimless and doesn't have as much of a support network around her. You know, it's more like, oh, you have an open invitation rather than people being actually there with her. So I'm glad Mrs. Hughes stepped in and tried to kick her out of her funk. Well, I think it showed how the Granthams really don't care for her. They just tolerate her. And it took a servant to actually reach out to her in need and say, hey, can I help? Because I, I've i always, I love Isabel. I mean, I identify with Isabel. I'm a pushy feminist too. And I just feel, yeah, I felt her pain that she was so isolated. And I love the scene with her and Edith. I mean, I, you know, can talk a lot of shit about this show. But at the end of the day, there's great female characters and they have great conversations together. And I loved that scene. Yeah, I'm not sure that they don't care for her so much as they don't understand her in a lot of ways. Because she is more bold than they are. And she does say things like, you and I are different. I can eat my dinner off a tray. Like... (laughs) There are just all these little barriers to understanding, but I think, you know, the very fact that the Dowager is even coming to check up on her when ostensibly their main connection now is a shared grandchild, I think that shows they care about her. I think that Isabel just makes people uncomfortable. Right. She just she just makes them uncomfortable, and um, so it's a little hard to have her around, even though I think everyone has a lot of affection for her. Um. But I do think when Edith pointed out that she was a grandmother, that was a really great moment. Right. Like, no, Isabel, there are people who need you and, you know, love you. And and then Nanny West denies her access. What I'm really excited about the most from this premiere is that there's a lot of cool feminist issues that we're going to see, like a woman being in charge of an estate and having these meetings with men a woman who is maybe going to decide to have an unconventional romantic and sexual relationship. I mean, there's a lot of cool issues here that I'm really excited to see play out. Hey, what happened to Isabel and the doctor? She wasn't into it. She just wasn't into him. Just not that into him. (laughs) I know, but he has to like pop in and check on that random dude who's staying in her house. Wait, wait, wait. Is he the only doctor in town? Is that who she gets her pap from? That's totally awkward. (laughs) What? Shannon, you know that Isabel gives herself a pap with a mirror. She's very self-sufficient. That swab is kind of difficult, though. Look, having having watched all of season one of Masters and Johnson's Masters of Sex, I can tell you that the pap smear really did not come into existence until after the war. (laughs) Okay. The second war. Can I just side note and ask? I, I'm so bored by that show. Does it get any better? I'm like four or five episodes in and I'm like so incredibly bored. 
I I really like the the episode where they open with Freud and talk about uh, vaginal versus clitoral orgasms for an hour. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. So, but I, I look forward to it. Sorry, I didn't mean to take us off. Should we do predictions? Things we're excited about slash dreading. Well, I want to know who that glamorous pirate is. I can't wait. I really can't wait. Yeah, the the previews were sort of Mad Men esque this time, where it was kind of like I don't know what anyone's talking about. <laughs> Here's some random <laughs> scenes that make absolutely no sense. So I'm hoping we continue seeing a Tom Mary alliance, not a romance. I know people were already saying they were shipping them on Twitter, and I don't feel that. I just think that it could be a really interesting friendship and. Sometimes those like a friendship alliance type of relationship is actually there's more depth there for story wise because it isn't right. about sex appeal. So that's what I And let's be serious. They both could use a friend. They yeah. both need a friend. Well that's what Mrs. Hughes is there for. Um, I predict that Mary is gonna really embrace her power color and she I think she is going to shed her daddy's little girl petticoat and really become the woman that we've been waiting for her to become since season one. I predict that, and you know how I've been on Team Edith from the very beginning. Yes. I predict that things aren't going to go well for her. Just I, a prediction. I want to believe. I, I know. I want to believe too, but I, I feel the same way where like it's just too too much in this first episode of her being sort of love struck and everything seeming like maybe they found a way uh, i'm i feel like we're there's a carrot dangling in front of us and it's going to be whipped away very quickly i think there's going to be a lot of pregnancies this season i think anna i think edith rose okay, that's it that's that's the two i got edna someone's going to knock her up rose yeah <laughs> Who knows oh, the knock- me and Ivy get down. I mean, there's a lot of people who, like, have temptations at the moment. So Yeah, there's a lot of interesting sexual intrigue going on. Well, and they said that they're not going to kill anybody off this season, which makes me think they're going to make people this season. Mm. <laughs> well, and I believe we've been discussing this since, like, the beginning of last season. But the chemistry between Mrs. Hughes and Carson is not to be ignored. <laughs> I know. I am so not on this ship. Everyone <laughs> else is on this ship. I am not on it. I think they're adorable. They're the cutest couple ever. Picture you them actually not... kissing. Do it right now. Picture <laughs> them actually kissing. Okay. So much so weird. It's just so much nose. Point taken. Well, I, I, <laughs> I have to ask, what is the next electrical appliance going to be that gets brought into downtown? Oh, my God. A shoulder massager. <laughs> Oh you could God. order them from the Sears catalog. Come on. I really want a Daisy. I want a Daisy romance. She deserves it. She really does. She's paid her dues. I still want her to take that farm. And, or maybe she's going to become like a farm to table chef. I don't know. <laughs> There's just got to be some, I don't know. Milkman, farmhand, I don't know what they're even called. There's got to be some strapping young man who is not Alfred, you know, Conan O'Brien's great-great-grandfather. Cold fish, that Alfred. She deserves better. Tedious. The kitchen is basically the max, you know, from Saved by the Bell. It's just like, everybody's <laughs> just like... The kitchen uh, is the max. 
And it's perpetually that one episode where they tried to make Zach and Lisa date each other. And it didn't work. <laughs> Just forever. Forever in a loop in that one episode. I have no idea what you're talking about. I know. This is the second time we brought up Saved by the Bell and you were confused. But you know what? We're never going to stop, Therese. Never. Okay. All right. Um, Yeah, I just, I do have to say, you know, Bates and Anna, I can't leave without making a comment. Still can't stand them. Um, And just hoping a little tragedy comes their way because it's kind of annoying. So, that's all I got. That's harsh. That's way harsh. It's harsh. You know what? Sorry, guys. But I don't want them to go back to prison because it was really boring. But you just I want like, him to like drive off a bridge. You're like, why wasn't he in the car with Matthew? Because I'm so oh, sick. Oh yeah, that would be great. All right, duly noted. Those are our predictions. And you guys were usually pretty right. I'm not gonna lie. I've come back and listened <laughs> to the first one at the end and been like, oh, we were really right about that. That's funny. Julian Fellows isn't that subtle with his foreshadowing. So, <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of. Downton Gabby. We will be back next week to keep discussing. And you can find us in the meantime on Twitter at at Downton Gabby, on Tumblr at DowntonGabby.tumblr.com, and by searching Facebook for, you guessed it, Downton Gabby. Don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my Someone takes a spill, it's me and not you Who told you you're allowed to rain on my parade I'll march my band out I'll beat my drum And if I'm band out Your turn at bat, sir At least I didn't fake it, hat, sir I guess I didn't make it